This show is about good mental health advice. It's not a diagnostic or counseling tool. If you're in need of therapy, contact a mental health professional directly. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. Here, try this. It works for a lot of people. We'll see how it works then. Change it up if we have to. Quite often, that's the experience those of us living with depression hear from our doctor, and quite often the medication doesn't work or it has debilitating side effects. Now, my sponsor, Inagene Diagnostics, is in the process of bringing 20th century medicine into the 21st century by using your genes to take out almost all of the guesswork. The medicine that fits right now on The Happy Molecule. Nancy White is the CEO of Inagene Diagnostics. Sigrun Watson is the uh, VP of Sales and Marketing. And Dr. Michael Varenbute is a Toronto doctor who is an expert in pharmacogenetics and actually joins us from Tel Aviv. Hello, everybody. Good morning. 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 All right, so uh, let's get right into this, uh, Nancy, if, if we could. Okay, I'm very proud of my line, by the way, where I say Inagene is bringing 20th century medicine into the 21st century. Come on, give me something on that. Okay, we often hear people talking about the future of personalized medicine, and we're here to tell you today that the future is actually here. And pharmacogenetics is not a new science, it's just that a lot of people don't understand what this type of genetic testing is. And simply put, it's really how do your genes impact the way you respond to medication, full stop. And Sigrun, there is I, I'm going to call this an alarming statistic, and I'm on medication for uh, anxiety and uh, depression, and there is an alarming statistic, and it's, it's two out of three people fail this medicine treatment. That's right, Kevin. So, unfortunately, the, the reality is that because of wide variations between individuals, in how we will respond to different medications that are commonly prescribed to uh, to treat depression or anxiety and uh, anxiety and other mental health conditions that are driven by our genetics because we're all different we're all unique and that includes how we respond to medications so because of those wide variations studies show that two out of three of us that are prescribed a drug to treat our depression or anxiety will actually fail that drug so it won't be effective for us and or it will be intolerable and may even cause in some cases with some people's genes, safety issues. And so the reality is that most people, most of us will, the majority of us will spend weeks, months, possibly even years cycling through different drugs and doses to try to find something that works. And in the meantime, you don't have that symptom relief. So you're continuing to to have that uh, mental health issue that brought you to medication in the first place. And on top of that, you may be dealing with, with side effects. And unfortunately, that can result and very often does result in a bit of a downward spiral because you start to get hopelessness coming in. You start to get a lot of frustration, a lot of stress. Will this, will this ever get better? And uh, before you know it, you may be on a multi multiple drugs um, sort of piled onto each other. You may be dealing with 
withdrawal symptoms as you come off of one drug and, and move on to another. So it really is an unfortunate situation. And that's why we're so excited about this technology. Dr. Varenbude, I wanted to be very clear. I'm not knocking doctors. Do you know what it, it, it is? It's tough to prescribe for mental health issues. It's also extremely hit and miss right now. How come we are in this situation with mental health, but it's not it's not the same with with other diseases and and ailments that are being treated with medicine? Yeah, so great uh, great question, and I, I agree with um, Nancy's and Sigrun's comments. And and the problem is exactly as as you nailed it, Kevin, is that this is not an exact science. Um, diagnosis is very difficult. It's not precise the symptomatology or the symptoms that we put together to come up with a diagnosis is quite complex and everybody is quite different. Put that together and the fact that we have very, very few tools in our toolbox as physicians or clinicians to decide which medication will work best for which patient other than just trying to cobble together some um, medical facts based on symptoms, based on drug classes or classifications and methods of action of specific medications. The rest of it really comes down to, like everyone has said, is, is really, it's experimentation. It's trial and error. It's trying to find out which medication will work best for which patient, which will cause the least amount of side effects, uh, and which ones will be most tolerated and also affordable uh, by the patient. But there are no great tools. So physicians constantly struggle with this, especially in mental health and addiction and chronic pain, because it's not as simple as, you know, you have abdominal pain, you have appendicitis, let's take out your appendix and you're cured. This is a completely different ball game. You are taking years um, of symptoms of psychopathology, of influences that patients have had to live with, and you're trying to cook all that together to come up with a diagnosis and then try to marry that to hopefully one drug or one medication that in conjunction with other therapies will hopefully help the patient. And we, interestingly enough, is that we look at a 30% reduction in symptoms, be it depression, anxiety, any other mental health symptom, as a success. Not elimination of depression or anxiety, but mm. a th at least a 30% reduction with whatever treatment modality or medication we introduce. To some patients, that's great. To others, it's not. But that's where we end up quite often piling on a drug on top of another drug on top of a third drug in combination with therapy to try to come up with the best possible uh, therapeutic outcome for the patient. Uh, and I'm going to get more into into specifics as well. Let's talk about anxiety. Let's talk about depression. Let's talk about the, the growing rate of, uh, of bipolar diagnosis as well. But Nancy and, and Sigrun, I'm going to put this to you. Why now? Uh, why are we doing this now? Why weren't we? Why wasn't Inagene around years ago? Well, I, I mean, like I said, the science is not new. There are lots of companies that offer this type of testing, but where the adoption of it has, I think, struggled to accelerate in its uptake, just anchors solely around the awareness of what this is. And many times, so I've worked in healthcare my entire career, when I talk about genetic testing to former colleagues or friends, they immediately think of lifestyle type genetic testing. So things like your ancestry, your hair mm -hmm. color, 
or they think about disease diagnosis. So, you know, do you carry a certain gene that might make you more susceptible to a certain illness? Yeah, I, I mean, I find it kind of uh, uh, humorous that I am able to try and, and figure out that, oh my gosh, my family came from some farming community in the south of England, yet this has not been applied up until now to my medication. Well, and then the second challenge is, so, you know, healthcare professionals are busy people. We're coming, you know, hopefully out of the pandemic. But when you think about the strain that the pandemic put on our healthcare system alone, just by virtue of being in a pandemic, when you're introducing newer technology, there's a learning curve for everyone. So when you're busy and you just want to, you know, complete your to-do list at work, see as the patients as you need to, some people might not have time to introduce new technology to patients. So it's kind of a perfect storm of a lot of things <laughs> that are, we, we feel like we're swimming uphill or running uphill a lot of the time. Swimming uphill, swimming upstream, whichever. Secret. <laughs> one of the dangers, of course, is that people get frustrated and then they get off the medication that is, that is in some way helping them. Yeah, it, absolutely. And that is a big, big issue that I think pharmacogenetic testing can really help with is, of course, if you're taking a medication that is not making you feel better, and in many cases, it's making you feel worse, you're not excited about taking that medication every day. So it's tough to get through that initial period that you often get told about where, you know, stick it out, um, the side effects may dissipate, and you may start to feel better. Um, if you or, or worse, just live with it. Yeah, live with it until we see whether this dissipates, then maybe we'll increase the dose or we'll decrease the dose and then we'll try something else. But this has a big impact on what we call adherence, which is your willingness to take the medication. You may only take it every second day, for instance, and you may or may not tell your doctor about that because you're sort of struggling through it. And then you don't really know, the doctor has a hard time assessing whether that drug is working for you. But the other interesting and unfortunate thing is that because antidepressants ha are so hit and miss, everyone kind of knows in the back of their mind that, you know, quite often it's not a good experience when you start medications. And so people have a lot of anxiety about even mm -hmm. starting them to begin with. And, and you now know, you that have, I think is really unfortunate. Yeah, now you have people who live with anxiety and depression now piling more anxiety onto that and then that leads to more depression. Exactly. So, you know, even the fact that you're considering medication may be increasing your anxiety level. And then when you try it and it doesn't make you feel better and maybe makes you feel worse, that can deepen your depression and anxiety as well. And Kevin, I wanted to just come back to your previous question about, you know, why hasn't this technology been out there, you know, a long time ago? Um, a couple things I would add to that is that the science has evolved so much in the last the research has evolved so much in the last five years, it's really, really accelerated. We've discovered so many more gene drug links or links between genetic variants that people have inherited and the impact on uh, the response to certain medications, that there's so much more we can do now than we did five years ago. And at the same time, the accessibility of the testing has improved so much because it was it used to be that you could only access this type of test through big academic institutions like the Mayo mm -hmm. Clinic, for instance. And you'd have to be maybe part of a clinical trial and you'd have to be, you know, someone who had struggled for many, many years, very treatment resistant. Now, flash forward about five years 
And, you know, this test is actually accessible to the average Canadian. They just don't know that it exists. The price has also come down because we used to be talking about thousands of dollars to access a test that was much less comprehensive and provided a lot less information. And now we're talking about under $300 for a one-time test that continues to provide information that can guide any drug treatment for you for years to come, for your entire life. Yeah, and I want to talk about the price point in, a, in just a little bit and coverage, et cetera. Uh, and we're going to circle around back to that. But uh, Dr. Uh, Varenbutte, why doesn't my why doesn't Medicaid, why doesn't one pill work for everyone? I mean, if you have a headache, you take a, an aspirin. And it, it generally works for the bulk of the population. Why doesn't this work for everybody? Well, you, you gave a great example. You know, um, the simple answer is that we're not all the same. We're all completely different. We have many, many genes that all cobbled up together create our unique features, whether it's facial features or genetic makeup or how we respond to medications. So the simple example you gave of a headache, um, you know yourself as a patient if Advil or ibuprofen versus Tylenol works better for your own headache. And you will typically migrate towards one of those. You probably know, if I have a headache, I'm going to take one versus the other. The reason for that is because your body, your, your, your genes dictate how your body breaks that drug down and how the effects then work on that headache. So if you can translate that to every single symptom, be it a headache or depression or anxiety, there is no one drug that works for everyone. There are literally hundreds of medications out there. There are multiple classes of drugs that work on different components of the systems. Some may increase serotonin levels, some may increase norepinephrine levels, other have combination of effects and so on. And we are each completely unique in how our bodies and genes dictate what effects specific drugs have. And myself as a clinician or any physician out there has no way of knowing how you particularly, you specifically as a patient will, re will respond to any given drug. I have nothing to go by. So to me, the you know the your question of why now is, is is multifold. One is it's very simple. You do a simple cheek swab. It's not a blood test that a lot of yeah. anxiety patients it, are afraid of. It's, it's not it's not the it, COVID test, right? It goes up no, your nose or anything. <laughs> it's yeah. a simple cheek swab you do in your own home. You send it in, and within a week you get a result. It's extremely affordable compared to what the cost of medications are. Not even looking at the cost of lost productivity and lost days of work and so on, uh, and the results that you actually obtain as a patient and as a clinician are actionable. It's, this is not science fiction you know, guesswork. You can actually take a report and you will see yourself in the way that you've responded to medications in the past. But even more so, you can use that report then that is unique to you as a, as a map, as a, guide, as a guideline to then select medications in the future. That may not be 100% uh, accurate, and there's still some give and take and some guesswork, but at least there is some assistance in selecting medications, getting away from medications that you should not ever attempt, and hopefully give you some advice on which other specific medication or which class of medications you should try first. I think as well, we are hearing a lot about an increase, especially in diagnosis of bipolar, and the experts are telling us it doesn't mean there are more cases out there. We're just getting better at diagnosing it. In fact, we are now starting to take 
mental health uh, diagnoses, that, which we just categorize as either being depression or anxiety. And now we're starting to really categorize them and, and zero in. And, and I guess that that means that different medications now are, are all that much more uh, important. Absolutely. And, and it's not just depression, anxiety, or bipolar affective disorder. There's, there's a spectrum of conditions out there. There's lots of personality disorders, even anxiety on its own. Anxiety is not a diagnosis. Anxiety is a symptom. There are many anxiety conditions, whether it's PTSD or panic disorder or generalized anxiety disorder, just as examples, their treatments are unique. Same with depression. Depression is a symptom. Depression on its own is not a diagnosis. Depression is a symptom of ma many depressive conditions, but you really need to, to understand what it is that you're diagnosed with and what it is that the treatment is meant to do. The other important fact that a lot of us forget is that we cannot put all our eggs in one basket and hope that just a pill is going to be the magic potion and it's going to fix everything. You know, if you have comorbid conditions that are related to, to your mental health condition, let's say drug abuse or dependence or alcoholism, if you start a medication and then continue drinking as an example, that medication is not going to be as effective or may actually harm you. So it's, it's really important to look at the patient holistically, at all the factors, at all the, the comorbid conditions in conjunction with some good pharmacogenetic data to be able to fine tune treatment. So this is not, you know, 100 years ago when we really had nothing. We are now fine tuning treatment that, you know, 50 years from now is going to be looked back and, and, and we're going to say it's unbelievable that we used to prescribe medications in the way we did in 2021. Yeah. We're going to laugh at that. You know what? I keep, and, and I'm sorry, I'm aging myself here. I keep going back to the original Star Trek. And Dr. McCoy would always be talking about, you know, if they ever talked about 20th century Earth, he'd, he'd say, barbarians, I can't believe they would actually have done this to treat something like that. So Absolutely. we indeed are coming into the future. Absolutely. Couldn't agree uh, more. Talking with Nancy White, CEO of Inagene Diagnostics, Sigrun Watson, Vice President, Sales and Marketing, Dr. Uh, Michael Varenbute, uh, Toronto doctor, an expert in pharmacogenetics, and is speaking with us uh, from Tel Aviv right now. Uh, Nancy and Sigrun, you know what I'd love to hear? I'd love to hear some anecdotal stories uh, about mm -hmm. what people have come to you with, desperation they've come to you with, and, and what they've left with. Yeah, Stephen, yeah. if you don't mind, I'll start. But we, um, one of the most rewarding aspects of our job are the stories we hear. And we get an overwhelming number of emails, um, letters, and feedback from users. The ones that have really impacted me the most over the last 12 months have been from the parents who have, we've had parents literally tell us our test has saved their child's life. And a lot of this does relate to um, poor experiences with medications for mental health conditions and just being on a medication that the side effects were so overwhelming that, you know, some of these children had to be hospitalized. Um, and, you know, those stories stick with you. So we really care about patients, which is the, the mission of our, our organization full stop, but I'll hand it over to Seagrin to share other examples. 
Yeah, so Kevin, um, I'll maybe share from my own experience and my own family. So one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this work is because I do have um, a number of people in my family, myself included. I, I actually can think of fewer people within my own family who haven't had some kind of mental health concern uh, at some point than, than not. Um, and I have a couple of striking examples. And um, so for, for instance, my grandmother uh, suffered with very, very severe treatment resistant bipolar depression late in life. It went on for years and it defined our family um, is the only way to put it. And this was before this testing was available and she unfortunately passed away um, from complications of bipolar in the sense that she was on so many, many medications and side effects, she got dizzy, she fell, hit her head, um, lost her um, independence and sort of went downhill from there. And so this was a tragedy that really defined our family. And I look back and I think, you know, as we were struggling to help her, if, if we had had this test, how could that journey have been different? Because the reality is, and studies show that with, with every, it really matters whether you get it right up front, because with every subsequent treatment that you try, your chances of recovery go down and your chances of experiencing side effects go up. And of course that exponentially increases as well as you continue to layer on medications and it becomes more and more difficult to tease out what exactly is going on here and find a path forward. And so my sister openly talks about um, her struggle with bipolar, coming back to bipolar. Mm -hmm. um, she suffered for 25 years and um, it was, again, it was, it was a very difficult journey. She only just four years ago found uh, the right mix of medications and she's been a different person ever since. And she talks openly about this because she really wants people to know about this testing because we did do a test for her. Um, and sure enough, it, it revealed that she could have avoided years and years and years, never mind paying out of pocket, which was her reality, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Had she had this test, she could have known, her doctors could have known which drugs to avoid and which ones had the highest likelihood of treatment success. And it read like a roadmap. So I, these are just a couple of examples, but I am extremely passionate about this. I feel that everyone needs to know this exists. That's step one, so that they can, their doctor is empowered to do the best for them early on. Uh, Dr. Varenbit, uh, Nancy says, um, you saved my child's life. Is she is she going over the top with that, or or is this definitely something that is going to not only save lives but change lives? Is Nancy going over the top? Um, absolutely not. I think this is a very unique situation. I think you know we we need to um, temper our, our, our enthusiasm because this is a um, a progress. This is this is a, a test and evolution that is going to continue getting better and better. And, and one of the advantages of what Inogene Diagnostics offers is that once you've done your swab once and you've received your report, as new research comes um, becomes available, your report becomes updated every six months. So as new information becomes available, more and more drugs are added, more and more information is added on. Um, is this going to save lives? Absolutely. There are some medications that we all should completely avoid. Uh, unless they're absolutely required. And, and these days we're lucky in that, that there is enough of, of a selection. There's enough choice 
that we shouldn't be experimenting with drugs that are potentially going to harm us. And, and I wanted to, uh, I was just thinking of what you were mentioning before as well with bipolar affective disorder with, and, and with psychosis in general, cannabis use, you know, has really become mainstay as an example. And we know that a certain portion of the population, about 10% or 10 to 15%, have a predisposition in their genetics that if they were to use cannabis products, cannabinoids, THC, CBD, but mostly THC, that would put them potentially into a psychotic state. That would make them become, in essence, bipolar, or they would present and, in, a, in a bipolar psychosis. And and I don't want anyone to get the wrong uh, the wrong impression here. We're not poo pooing cannabis, and and I happen to know what you're talking about, not Doctor. I, I I have seen it personally with with a loved one who was diagnosed with bipolar that cannabis immediately touched off a reaction. So we're not poo-pooing cannabis. We're just saying that cannabis, yep. bipolar, uh, and other mental health conditions, they don't like each other. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, I think the, 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 the ship has sailed from us poo-pooing cannabis because it's legal, it's widely used. But what I would love to see is responsible cannabis use, where if you have a teenager or you yourself are considering using cannabinoid products, you really should know if you are predisposed to becoming psychotic because being psychotic is not fun and it's quite well, often very difficult to, to treat and get out of it so it, if it's you know it, i'm sorry and, I, and, and i'm sorry in interrupting I, I hate interrupting but I, i'm just sort of adding to this portion of the story you say it's not fun it's not fun for the person who is living with it and it's not fun at all for the person who is living with that person it Absolutely. is scary it's less fun for the family. For the person living in it, if they're acutely manic, they think the world is great and they're wondering why everybody else has a problem with it. But the problem is it's not sustainable and it's actually quite dangerous. But we've had countless examples of, of families that have had a history of psychotic reactions with cannabis who then went on to test additional family members who have not yet experimented. So it's a way of us using this information before patients get into trouble. So if you know you have kids that are predisposed to having an acute reaction with cannabis because somebody else in the family has had a psychotic breakdown from cannabinoids, at least warn them. I think it's very responsible for them to know that, hey, if you're going to use cannabis, be forewarned, you have a much higher chance of becoming psychotic. And the, the Indigen Pharmacogenetic Report touches on specifically on how your genes respond to cannabinoids. And if I can add to that, Kevin, mm -hmm. um, I think it's also important to, to point out that it can really help on the flip side with cannabis. So, for instance, uh, some people just need a higher dose to achieve the clinical response that they're looking for. So for myself, I need, it just so happens based on my genetic profile, I need a far bigger dose of CBD if I'm going to have the clinical effects that I would be looking for in using CBD. So I am that person who would go out and get that, that CBD oil to, to manage my pain, for instance, and I wouldn't feel anything. And I would probably let it sit on the shelf or I'd maybe give it away or something, thinking, well, I guess that doesn't work for me. But my report reveals that I just need a higher dose in order to get a clinical response. On the flip side, if you give me the same 50-50 ratio product as someone else, I'm going to end up with more THC in my system. So the, the, the research is still evolving and, and rapidly building in the area of cannabis. Um, it's mostly preliminary data that we can look to at this point, but it's really exciting because the research is building every month. 
uh, we're very much a part of that research. And because we update our report every six months, you're getting new insights mm -hmm. all the time, which is really, really great. I have a question from, uh, from Kim here. Can this genetic test be successful prior to any medications having been administered? We love to say that the best time to do this test is before you ever take a medication. It will really help you um, have a more successful experience when you know upfront as opposed to later. But I mean, at any point in your treatment journey, a test like this is invaluable. But it's not, not just for, just to add to that, so not yep. just for mental health and pain medication, but the, the panel now covers, or there are different panels in, in the energy and family that cover other uh, conditions like gastrointestinal conditions and neurologic conditions and, and so on. And, and I'm not sure if that's what Kim was referring to. Yeah. Uh, but the what is the current number of drugs that we that we cover, um, Segrin and, and yeah, uh, or Nancy? It's, it's over 225 medications. But the exciting thing is that that list is building all the time. So just in the last year and a half, we've added over 30 new medications to our test. Why? Because new gene drug links were discovered in that time. So when I was talking earlier about the acceleration of the research, it's really uh, fast paced at this point, which is why it's so important to update the test every six months. So it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? If you have someone who's struggling with medications or is considering an antidepressant or, you know, it could be across any therapeutic area, really, um, because you'd be hard pressed to, to think of a therapeutic area where a test doesn't go. Um, but it's the gift that keeps on giving in the sense that we continue to add new medications, we continue to add new insights for your physician to be able to, to guide treatment. So for instance, if you're going to have a surgery a couple of years from now, um, this having this test result is going to be extremely useful because it covers the vast majority of pain medications and it can really help in optimizing your pain management and uh, getting you better sooner. Uh, I'm sorry, if I could just sorry go ahead, Nancy. Yep. For any of your listeners, we do have um, a link to all of the drugs we cover on the test on our website. But if you're looking for a drug that's not there, it's because the science isn't advanced enough in terms of having a strong enough gene drug association. So we don't report on it. We only include drugs that have very strong associations and you can rely on the recommendation. All right. And I'm getting this uh, question a lot from, uh, whoops, hold on. I'm getting this question a lot from people. And that is, how much does it cost? Um, and this is, you know, I, I want to be upfront with this. But at the same time, once you once you tell me about that, I, I just want to add a little bit of a comment to it. So how much does it cost? So the cost yeah, sure. So the, so the cost of the test, so we have a very comprehensive pain and mental health test to guide pain and mental health treatment. Uh, by the way, the reason why it's both pain and mental health is because those two conditions, types of conditions, so often coexist. And if you aren't managing one very, very well or very effectively, your risk of having the other side of it is, is increased. Um, so the cost of that test, which includes the, the comprehensive cannabis panel also that we were talking about, is $299. Uh, if you order it on Inagene's website, that's what you're going to pay. And um, that's a one-time cost. So you can imagine that the average person is on, on at least one medication in a year. Um, the average person is going to have between seven and eight or nine surgeries in a lifetime. Um, it's going to keep 
paying off or providing value through your entire life. So it's a one-time cost. You never have to repeat the test ever because your genes do not change. Um, they're always going to be your genes, but you continue to get more and more insights. It continues to become a, a more and more valuable tool over time. Yeah, I've been wearing the same jeans for about four weeks right now. You're right. They don't change. Um, so th this is a comment that I wanted to make, and this is a comment I make about general, uh, me uh, mental health in general. We spend so little on mental health. However, if we would spend a little bit more, we could solve so many other health-related issues heart disease, alcoholism, etc., etc., etc. It goes on and on and on. And in this case, um, it's not covered right now. However, we could be saving our healthcare system millions of dollars. So is there any indication that this is a going to be covered at some point? Are there any insurance companies that are, are considering it right now? Absolutely, Kevin. In fact, many and most of the private insurance companies are covering pharmacogenetic testing for at least some of their plans and at least some situations. So if you do have private coverage, there is a reasonably good chance that the test will be covered. And uh, every month, the chances go up because private insurers are paying a lot of attention to this technology. Why? Exactly the reason that you mentioned that it does save a lot of money in wasted drug costs, thousands of dollars. There are many studies showing this now and, and that research is, is continuing to build. Um, so not only in terms of wasted drug costs, but much more importantly, in helping avoid people you know, ending up in that downward spiral where they may end up on disability. And you know, private insurers want to do everything they can to prevent that from happening. So we always say, and Nancy and I uh, came from the pharmaceutical industry, um, 22, 23 years spent there where we saw again and again, every drug that we worked on it was the same story you know you had people who responded really really well you had people who didn't respond at all and then you had people who uh, had a terrible response maybe awful side effects or even a safety issue and so this really helps to uh, for us it was a huge light bulb understanding um, this technology a huge light bulb went uh, off as to why that was and we don't we don't have to have that reality going forward I'm just going to wrap up here, and and, and Dr. Uh, Verenbute, I'd, I'd like to get your take, and, and please, ladies, if you'd like to add in your answer as well. In speaking for people who live with depression, um, sometimes it can feel hopeless. Uh, I'm one of the fortunate ones. My medication works for me. I don't realize I'm even taking it. I have no side effects. I don't know if I take it or not. So that that's actually working because it is decreasing my anxiety and my, my depression, or at least helping me to handle it. But it's that hopelessness that so many people who live with mental health issues, I've tried this, I've tried that. It just doesn't work. So I'm just going to go back to bed or I'm going to lay down on the couch. What messages of hope, in fact, I'll open it up to all three of you. What, what messages of hope can you give to people who are thinking that? Yeah, well, no, thanks, thanks, Kevin, for sharing because it's not not easy to share, and there's lots of stigma against you know talking about mental health and addiction and to begin with. So, uh, kudos for you for being uh, willing to do that. But I think the message should be is that we should all be hopeful because we have additional tools that we can use as patients and as clinicians to find better treatment uh, regimens for patients. So I think the way I typically use this 
with my patients is I ask my patients, please spend some time and, and become a, an active participant in your own healthcare. So don't mm-hmm. just hope that somebody is going to give you a magic potion that's going to fix everything. I ask my patients, make a list for me. List all the medications that you've ever tried for this condition, be it depression or something else, and tell me a little bit about how you felt. Did you have side effects? Did they work? Did they not? Because by the time, quite often, they come to see me, they've tried many, many other therapies. And then we, if we do get the, the option, the, 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 uh, the ability to do the pharmacogenetic testing, we'll sit down with a report and really cross-check to find out, you know, medication X, you didn't respond to, let's see where it fits on the list. And we quite often, more than not, kind of come up with an exact match, that that medication should have never been tried for that patient. But it's not putting blame on the physicians, because as clinicians, we don't have those tools. We didn't have those tools before today. So the message that I would want to convey for the patient or anybody who's listening is that become an active participant in your own healthcare, and you can then educate your own physicians by doing the test, coming to your physician with a pharmacogenetic report and say, let's look at this together. Let's see if there's a better way for us to fine tune the treatment regimen that I'm on right now, because hey, I may not be as lucky as Kevin, I'm not feeling as good, or I'm having lots of side effects. Maybe there's a better medication, maybe there's a better combination of medications that'll work better for me, because I'm likely gonna need to be on these medications for a long, long time. This is not a quick, one week, 10 day antibiotic course and you're all better. So the more that we can do, the more that the patients can do before they start medications, I think we'll, we'll all be better for it. And Kevin, I would say that I'll tell you that the thing that we hear more commonly than anything else from people who've taken this test is, it gave me so much hope. I feel hope or often it's parents saying, my child, feels hope for the first time and I can't tell you how long. And the reason is because they do that. They look back and they can see where before they just didn't understand. They didn't think there was any hope. Medications just aren't for me. What am I going to do? Now they look back and they see that roadmap, what what it was that went wrong, and then they can see the path forward and that gives them hope. And that in and of itself is, is a huge, uh, I think, benefit to society uh, with so many of us struggling with mental health issues, especially post-pandemic. Nancy. Yeah, in closing, I would say, you know, we tell this to everyone. Pharmacogenetics is not the only part of the solution, but it's a powerful tool that can help you because you really need to be having these transparent conversations with your healthcare professional and this is a tool that, you know, can help explain the past and help guide the future. All right. So, so perfectly put all three of you. I, I want to thank you so much. Uh, remember, uh, it is inagene.com. And we all want to use those promo codes, right? You see a promo yeah. code. Oh, I don't have any promo. Yes, you do. You can use Kevin10, Kevin10. Uh, in the promo code section at checkout and you save 10%. And I want to thank you for that. I appreciate the I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to do that. I want to thank all three of you. And um, I it is a really, really good product. I it, it I, I have used it myself. And yes, you're a sponsor. However, I have promised my listeners and my viewers that I will never take on a sponsor that I don't check out and don't believe in. And I truly believe that this is the this is the beginning of finally civilizing mental health 
treatment. So I thank all three of you. Thank, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. And it is, um, there's, there's a couple of things I just wanted to wrap up with. And that, that is some things that, that uh, the doctor had said, and I think Sigrun had said it as well. First of all, I always tell people when it comes to your mental health and, and, and people are asking me, how do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with depression? What you need to do are, 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 are two things. One is control. You have to control it. You, you have to figure out what you can control, what you can't control. And that means being your own mental health advocate. Listen, doctors are very smart people, but they don't know everything. Or they don't have time for you because they've got 30 other patients they have to see before lunchtime. So you need to take an active role in your mental health treatment. That means being your own mental health advocate. And what better control than to get a scientific test of your genes to find out what medication is going to work and what medication you should stay from, stay away from. And I'm going to wrap up because Seagrin used a four-letter word, and it's such a four-letter word. And, and for me, I was, I, I've been asked before, what do you think the opposite of depression is? And she used the word hope. That's the opposite of depression. When you have depression and you're living with depression and it is getting the better of you, you have no or little hope. And it, it, I, I can tell you from personal experience, it's scary. It's sad. You, you just want to stop being. So anything that can give you hope is definitely something worth checking out. It's inagene.com. I want to thank you all for listening, and I want to thank my three guests as well. So take care of yourself and take care of each other. The opinions expressed in the proceeding are those of the participants and has been a paid presentation.